listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Leviticus 11. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, From among all the land animals, these are the creatures that you may eat. Any animal that has divided hoofs and is cleft-footed and chews the cud, such you may eat. But among those that chew the cud or have divided hoofs, you shall not eat the following. The camel, for even though it chews the cud, it does not have divided hoofs. It is unclean for you. The rock badger, for even though it chews the cud, it does not have divided hoofs, it is unclean for you. The hare, for even though it chews the cud, it does not have divided hoofs, it is unclean for you. The pig, for even though it has divided hoofs, it is cleft-footed, it does not chew the cud, it is unclean for you. Of their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch, they are unclean for you. These you may eat of all that are in the waters, everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the streams, such you may eat. But anything in the seas or the streams that does not have fins and scales of the swarming creatures in the waters and among all the other living creatures that are in the waters, they are detestable to you, and detestable they shall remain." Of their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall regard as detestable. Everything in the waters that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you. These you shall regard as detestable among the birds. They shall not be eaten, they are an abomination. The eagle, the vulture, the osprey, the buzzard, the kite of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the nighthawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little owl, the cormorant, the great owl, the water hen, the desert owl, the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron of any kind, the hoopoe, and the bat, all winged winged insects that walk upon all fours are detestable to you. But among the winged insects that walk on all fours, you may eat those that have jointed legs above their feet, with which to leap on the ground. Of them you may eat the locust according to its kind, the bald locust according to its kind, the cricket according to its kind, and the grasshopper according to its kind. But all other winged insects that have four feet are detestable to you. Every animal that has divided hoofs but is not cleft-footed or does not chew the cud is unclean for you. Everyone who touches one of them shall be unclean. All that walk on their paws, among the animals that walk on all fours, are unclean for you. Whoever touches the carcasses of any of them shall be unclean until the evening. And the one who carries the carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. They are unclean for you. These are unclean for you among the creatures that swarm upon the earth. The weasel, the mouse, the great lizard according to its kind, the gecko, the land crocodile, the lizard, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. These are unclean for you among all that swarm. Whoever touches one of them when they are dead shall be unclean until the evening. 
Whatever moves on its belly and whatever moves on all fours or whatever has many feet, all the creatures that swarm upon the earth you shall not eat, for they are detestable. This is the law pertaining to the land, animal, and bird, and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms upon the earth. To make a distinction between the unclean and the clean and between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And thank you, Carrie, for that reading. Very good. Someone asked me last week, they were like, are you just trolling the lay readers? Maybe a little. Um, So uh, we're actually going to do something a little bit different today, something I don't think we've ever done uh, in the time I've been here. Uh, We're going to start this sermon with a game that we're going to play together, and it is a game called Eat This, Not That. Welcome, everyone, to Eat This, Not That. I'm your host, Dan Brockway. Um, no, sorry. I won't do that. I won't do that the whole time. Um, does anyone remember those books from, like, was it the late 90s, early 2000s, Eat This, Not That? It was like, you know, if you go to Burger King, have this burger instead of that one because it's got, like, two grams less fat or something like that. Anyway, we are playing Eat This, Not That, Leviticus edition. And to do, to do this well, I need two contestants. I need two volunteers. Raise your hand if you're interested. Alicia will choose... There are prizes, so nice. Let's hear it for Jonah and Ginny. Yeah, you guys come on up, have a seat. Thank you so much. You can uh, arrange the uh, the mics if you want. Um, Do you want to introduce yourselves? I just said your names, but I think it's okay. I'm Jonah Spencer. I'm Ginny Spielman. Perfect. Thank you both so much for playing. Um, basically, this is, this is going to be a pretty simple game. We're going to see how well you paid attention to that reading that Carrie just shared for us. All right. Um, here's how this is going to work. All right. I'm going to have you actually face the bell, um, and I'm going to read off a pair of animals. Okay. Your job is going to be to tell me which one is clean and which one is unclean. Eat this, not that. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, what you got to do after I read the name of the animals, You've got to ring this bell. That's a, that's a weak bell. All right, that's fine. There you go. He's got the touch. You've got to ring this bell to answer. First person to ring in gets to answer. If you are right, you get a point. If you are wrong, your opponent gets a point. All right, does that make sense? We're going to do five rounds, and we're going to see who wins, and Alicia is going to be our scorekeeper. So that, that, should, that should work pretty well. All right, uh, to make it fair, why don't we do hands on stools? Are you guys happy with, with, with distance here? Okay, perfect. All right, and remember, there are prizes, so there's stakes. Oh, and I should also say, this is a participatory game, so we have a studio audience. Feel free to yell out answers if you think you know it or if you just want to mess these two up. You know, let's, let's, let's get this going. It's going to be good. All right, <clears throat> your first pair of animals. You need to tell me which is clean and which is unclean. The cow and the lobster. Ginny. The cow is clean and the lobster is unclean. That's correct. Ginny gets a point. Let's hear it for her. 
Yes, cows have a split hoof and they chew the cud, so they are good, they're clean. Um, it's not good or bad, it's clean and unclean. They are clean, they're good to eat. Uh, lobsters, though, shellfish, they crawl around the bottom of the ocean, they are unclean. Perfect. All right, hands at the ready on your stool. Perfect. <clears throat> Second pair, the otter and the pigeon. Jonah. Otter is unclean and the pigeon is clean? That is correct. The otter is unclean. Okay. Yep. Otters don't have a split hoof. They got a cute little paw, so you can't eat otters. And pigeons, as filthy as they, as they look, um, are actually one of the clean animals that you can offer as a sacrifice at the temple. So pigeons are good to go. Very good. All right. We're, we're at 1 1, right? Yep. Excellent. All right. Your third pair <clears throat> locusts and ostrich. Oh, Jenny. The locust is, is clean and the ostrich is unclean. That is correct. Good job. Yes. <clears throat> locusts are clean. They're among, um, I think, three bugs that the Israelites are allowed to eat. Locusts, crickets, and grasshoppers. Yum. Um, but ostrich, uh, they are grouped with all the birds of prey. They are detestable. So we don't, we don't, we don't eat them. All right. <clears throat> Fourth pair. We've got two more pairs. Squirrel and anchovies. Go for it. John, what do you think? The squirrel is unclean and the anchovy is clean. Correct. That is correct. Perfect. Yes. Yep. Anchovies are fine. Any, any fish in the sea with, I believe, gills and scales is good to go. Um, but squirrels have the paws, so they are unclean. So next time you get a pizza, leave off the squirrel. Pro tip. All right. Uh, what's, the, what's the score at? What are we at? We're at 2-2. Two, two. Oh, this couldn't, this couldn't have worked out better. I'm really excited. Okay. <clears throat> All right. This is your last pair. I'm going to put this right in the middle, roughly. Okay. That's, I think that's I think, yeah, it's fine. All right. <clears throat> your last pair. Ready? Panther and reindeer. Oh, Johnny, you were first. That is correct. Yes, let's hear it for him. Reindeer have the split hooves. Panthers are unclean. Now, thank you both so much for playing. We have prizes. So, Jonah, our winner, it was three to two, right? That was the final yeah. score. Perfect, three to two. You get one of these new Brockport First Baptist water bottles. They're available at the, uh, at the Connection Center if folks want to, they're five bucks. So, and then, but Ginny, everyone's a winner here. So, as the runner-up, you get this bag of real bacon crumbles. Yay! So, there you go. Congratulations. Thank you both for playing. Let's hear it for our contestants. <clears throat> awesome. <clears throat> All right. Yeah, some people like that second place prize better, right? Yeah. That's good. Got a little bit, a little bit of the theme. That was good. All right. That was fun. That was fun. We should do that more often. <clears throat> so why are we talking about the food laws in Leviticus? Like, what does this have to do with anything? Um, all right, if you were here last week, uh, if you were here last week, you'll remember we introduced clean and unclean, this five-chapter section in Leviticus covering food, childbirth, skin diseases, household mold, and bodily discharges, right? Um, and the way we've been doing this as we've gone through the book of Leviticus is we are not going verse by verse through this because that would, that would take a long time. Um, but we are kind of doing 10,000-foot view of each section of the book, and then we do a deep dive or two into some specific parts. So last week, we got our broad overview of clean and unclean, and today we are doing a deep dive into the food laws. Now, when I have conversations with people 
about the book of Leviticus, which you know happens all the time. Uh, but no, when, when, when this comes up, when the, when the Jewish law, the Old Testament law comes up, uh, one thing that folks ask about a lot actually is these food laws, the kosher laws, clean and unclean. This is like the one thing that just about everybody knows is in the book of Leviticus. And it's something that I think a lot of us Christians don't quite understand. Like, why is bacon off limits? What's wrong with shellfish? Why, when I get a burger, I can't put cheese on it? Like, what is up with these laws? They seem kind of arbitrary to us. One thing to know about these food laws is that they were actually super common in the ancient world. Uh, When we look at a lot of ancient legal codes, ancient laws, especially from this part of the world, the ancient Near East, um, a lot of them have things to say about what food you eat and don't eat. Uh, Part of that, part of what's going on is just general, like, health and safety, right? If you eat the wrong thing, it can make you sick or even kill you. And, like, remember, these people don't know about germs yet, right? Like, germs, we've only known about germs for, like, 200 years, which is terrifying, by the way. It's like, what else don't we know about? Um, But they didn't even have refrigerators, right? All we know is Todd ate some pig, and he died, so maybe don't eat pig anymore. Like, that's, that's part of this on some level. But if you actually survey the literature, if you do a deep dive into this sort of thing, you're going to find all sorts of interesting theories and hypotheses about the deeper spiritual reasons and implications of these laws. Many people have observed that like most of the unclean animals differ from their kind in some way. Like a bunny rabbit lives on land, but it doesn't have hooves like cows and deers and other animals that were fine to eat. Uh, It has like, you know, pads on the bottom and and little toes, almost like us, so we don't eat them. Um, Another theory is that some of these animals could have been endangered or disadvantaged in some way because they differed from their kind. However, the ancient Israelites understood that. Um, They were seen as like weaker or at a disadvantage, so we don't eat them, right? One less predator for the little bunny rabbit to worry about. And another thing that a number of scholars have pointed out, some of these unclean animals were actually able to cross the natural boundaries that God had established in creation. So, like, there's Genesis language all over these food laws. We talked about this a bit last week. The clean and unclean animals are organized. They're divided between the beasts of the land, the air of the sky, and the fish of the sea. That's Genesis 1 language. That's creation language. And a lot of these animals that are off limits are the animals who can cross those boundaries. Like, take a crab, for example. A crab lives under the water, but it can also walk around on land. It crosses that boundary. An ostrich is a bird, but it can't fly. It's almost like the text is saying... When you see a creature that blurs these distinctions, treat them with special attention and care. Don't eat them, right? There's something mysterious, something special, maybe even sacred with some of these animals. The latest, like, hot-button issue in the culture war, at least in kind of our culture, is transgender rights, right? Like, this has come up a lot. 
You've got um, all these states passing bills trying to tell transgender people where to use the bathroom. You've got folks up in arms over like trans athletes, usually kids playing sports. A lot of Christians have gotten sucked into these fights, these arguments, these battles. And you see people pointing to the distinctions, the divisions in Genesis 1. These are people who, like, I think are trying to read the Bible well. They're trying to be true to Scripture. But they end up using these distinctions to marginalize and exclude transgender people. You hear things like God made male and female. It's a boundary. There's no crossing it. There's no gray area. Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it, right? But what if I told you that Scripture actually recognizes in the book of Leviticus, of all places, the existence of living beings, of creatures who transcend some of these boundaries? And what if I told you that God's people are commanded specifically to treat these creatures with an extra level of care and respect? Imagine if, and I'm, I'm just like, I'm just spitballing here, but imagine if when Christians encountered someone who is navigating their gender identity, imagine if instead of going on the offensive, Instead of bringing condemnation and fear, imagine if Christians treated their transgender neighbors with an extra level of care and attention. How different that conversation would be. Imagine if instead of waging a culture war, we actually proceeded with love. You didn't expect to find that in Leviticus, did you? Right? We're going to circle back to this point by the end. Um, first, though, I want to pick up on our discussion from last week, and I want to pull out a few more spiritual insights from these food laws. We landed on a couple of uh, takeaways, some insights last week um, about clean and unclean. The first was about respecting the boundaries between life and death. Uh, the second insight we talked about was when you're dealing with a new creation, the distinctions matter. Those were some really important points we got into last week. We are not going to like summarize or rehash that now. If you weren't here last week, go on the website, uh, check out what you missed. But I've got two other insights, two other things I'd like to share that I think are important. The first is that God is concerned with all of life. God is concerned with all of life. Another way we might put this is that everything is spiritual, right? As modern human beings operating in the 21st century, we tend to really compartmentalize our lives. We have a little box for everything, right? It's like, um, here's my work life, here's my social life, here's my political life, my financial life, my family life. Over there under a table somewhere is my spiritual life. I bring that out once a week on Sundays for about an hour, right? They're all in their own little box. Now, some of these distinctions are healthy, right? We talked last week about how some distinctions, some boundaries are good. They're healthier. It's a good thing. Work-life balance is a good thing. 
If you've ever been to a Thanksgiving dinner, you know that it's not always a good thing when your family life and your political life intersect, right? Like some of these distinctions are healthy. But the ancient Hebrews, the Israelites, didn't even have a word for spiritual. There's no word in their language for spiritual as we understand it today. They didn't have a word for religion. They didn't recognize this as something separate because all of life was spiritual. All of life had to do with how we relate to God. How we raise our kids, how we do our jobs, um, how we treat our neighbors, how we participate in society. And my goodness, we're talking about food, right? Like there is nothing, hardly anything that is more personal, more close to you, more intimate than food. Maybe sex, (laughs) but like, but food is a close second. Maybe first, it depends on the person. But what we eat, what we put in our bodies, that is a deeply personal question. If you've ever been judged by a vegan, you've experienced this. <laughs> or like, or if you've, ever, if you've ever known someone with like serious life-threatening food allergies, like this is a big deal. Uh, we did the rock painting last weekend. Um, Joni Martin and I uh, had lunch together at the Rooster. Um, and if you know Joni, and she gave me permission to talk about this, um, Joni has some really serious food allergies, a lot of allergies. Uh, And listening to her order was kind of like getting her life story. I mean, there were so many questions, so many things to check. What kind of oil do you use in the fryer just to, like, make sure that the French fries don't kill you, right? Food is deeply personal. And God cares about our food because God cares about us. We don't often think about the spiritual implications of something as simple, as ordinary, as basic as our food, but the food we consume is connected to all sorts of ethical, and I would say spiritual, questions. How is my food produced? What impact does that have on the planet? How is my food harvested? How are the animals treated that I'm consuming? What does their life look like before they get to my plate? How are the people who plant and harvest my food treated? What are their living conditions like? Do we as a society give, like, appropriate reverence and dignity to farm workers, or are they living in poverty? When the migrant worker who picks my food lives in hiding the other hours of the day for fear of deportation, that is a spiritual problem. That's spiritual. You are what you eat. Our food choices say a lot about us as a society and as followers of Jesus, and a lot of what it says right now is not great. God cares about this stuff. Everything in life is spiritual. If we could learn to recognize, if we could actually discern the spiritual implications of something as basic as our food and then translate that to all of life, imagine how different our society might be. God cares about every element of our lives. Everything is spiritual. One more insight I want to touch on. 
And this one is going to force us to jump ahead to the New Testament, which is okay. The fourth insight, some rules are made to be broken. Some people really like that. (coughs) That's funny. Some rules are made to be broken. Now, before you get, like, too excited, this is where we need to exercise some discernment, right? Like, um, we need to approach the Old Testament with some Jesus-shaped lenses, I think. There are commands, there are rules that stand for all time. Like, don't murder. Honor your parents. Like, these are, these are good things. <clears throat> but some rules are made to be broken. We have two kids, uh, Miriam and Zeke, ages six and three, respectively. And one rule in our house that they actually do a surprisingly good job of following is don't touch knives. Don't play with knives, right? Like, Aaron and I have instilled enough fear on our children on this point that, like, when we go to a restaurant and the server brings out the silverware, like, you know, individually wrapped in little napkins, first thing both of our kids do is they very carefully take out the knives and hand it to us because they don't touch knives. But Miriam is six years old now. She's starting to learn some things. We're starting to show her a little bit of how to cook. Simple stuff. I was showing her how to like scramble eggs the other day. She's got like a little stool or she'll bring over a chair to reach the counter. It's adorable. And she's not like quite at the point of chopping broccoli yet. (laughs) But soon, right? Pretty soon, don't touch is going to give way to this is how you touch. You've learned to respect this boundary. You've learned to recognize and honor this distinction. Now let me show you how to use the knife safely, right? The disciples of Jesus were all good little Jewish boys and girls. They grew up steeped in this stuff, clean, unclean, eat this, don't eat that. And that makes this story we're going to close on from Acts 10 all the more interesting. It's a fascinating story. In Acts chapter 10, the Apostle Peter has this dream. It's really more of like a vision, a trance. Um, Jesus has already resurrected at this point. He's ascended into heaven. The disciples are carrying on his work in the world, planting new churches. And Peter is basically their leader. He's the head of the church at this point. And the church up to this point in the story, is a purely Jewish thing. Christianity started as this sect within Judaism. No Gentiles allowed. Sorry, pretty much everyone. But then in Acts chapter 10, Peter has this vision. I'm going to read it for you. It'll be on the screen too. Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city... Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter kill, and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything unclean that God has made clean. 
This happened three times, and then immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. What an interesting dream, right? Here's Peter, this good, faithful Jewish man, follower of Jesus, leader of the church, has never eaten an unclean animal in his life. Poor guy has never tasted bacon, right? Then he has this vision where he sees this sheet being lowered from heaven with all these unclean animals on it, and a voice from heaven invites him to eat. Peter says, no, of course not. I'd never eat anything unclean. And that's when this voice from heaven says, do not call anything unclean that God has made clean. To flesh this out, give you a little context. Immediately after this vision, Peter wakes up and he's visited by some men who work for a guy named Cornelius, a Roman centurion, a soldier. This guy is a Gentile, And he's working for the empire that is occupying Peter's people and their homeland, right? Like like a Roman soldier is about as unclean as you can get. Uh, A centurion, no self-respecting Jewish person is going to be caught dead in the home of a centurion. But this centurion wants to know about Jesus. So Peter, having this dream, he goes goes to Cornelius' house, he preaches the gospel, and the entire household is saved. Do not call anything unclean that God has made clean. See, what happened is, these laws, these clean and unclean rules that were intended to promote life and to equip the Israelites to be a blessing to their neighbors, These laws became another tool in a broken religious system looking to make insiders and outsiders. Jesus doesn't actually abolish any of these laws. Like, he doesn't do away with them, but he does transcend them. With Jesus, don't touch becomes this is how you touch. In the old system, in the old covenant, you touch someone who's unclean and you become unclean. But Jesus touches someone who is unclean, tax collectors, Gentiles, prostitutes, outsiders, and they become clean. Do not call anything unclean that God has made clean. Folks, I'm telling you, There are like so many people out there who are hurting because someone told them they were unclean. I mentioned transgender people earlier. That's one example. But there are so many more. People who a lot of them like Jesus. They find the gospel compelling. A few might even be interested in following Jesus, except that someone, somewhere at some church, told them they were unclean, told them that they didn't belong. But we are a Christ-centered church. And it's because of that that we affirm every single person who walks through these doors. This is what we're here for. 
This is why we spend so much time and do the stuff we do out there in the community, because there are people in our community who are hurting, who've been convinced that they don't belong, that they are unclean. But we are part of the church, and the church is called to be the hands and feet of Christ. So when we touch someone, when we connect with someone, when we meet someone and introduce them to Jesus, they become clean. That's our mission. That's why we exist and do what we do. Let's pray. God, I pray for anybody in this room or anybody watching or hearing this online who's been convinced that they don't belong. We pray for the folks at the margins of our society, all who've been excluded for whatever reasons. God, we pray for anyone who's been made to feel unclean. First, that you'd help us to see them through your eyes, but also that you'd help them to see themselves through your eyes. God, help us to put aside our fears and our prejudices and to seek out those you've called us to serve. May we learn to treat them with an extra level of care and respect. May we proceed with love in all that we do. And God, through our every word, our every deed, and our every action, may it all point to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.